Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the God that we serve and the God that we worship. It's kind of hard to, to truly get a grasp on who He is because He is so infinite. He is so limitless. He is so beyond our comprehension. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at some of the names that He uses to define Himself. And the first one that we looked at was that He is Elohim, referring to the fact that He is the Creator God of all things. And everything came into being through Him and by Him and just simply by His Word. But then on top of that, last week, Will talked about how He is also Yahweh. He is the relational God who reaches out to us the great I Am who has no beginning and no end, and He comes to us in His presence in a, in a very real way so that we can relate to Him. But there's another name that, that describes God, and quite honestly, many of us don't care about this name. Because we're all for all those things of what God does to us. But this one kind of rubs us the wrong way. It flies in the face of our perceived independence. English poet William Ernest Henley wrote the poem Invictus. And that last line that many of you probably memorized at one point or another in in your uh, schooling and what have you, it says, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. And far too many of us want to be in charge of how our lives go, don't we? We want to do our thing from a very early age. I mean, all you have to do is talk to parents who have a one-year-old. And the one-year-old wants to play with a toy, and you want her or him to take a nap. There's a slight clash of wills that takes place there. Ever had that happen to you? And all of a sudden, sometimes the one-year-old will throw a fit. And we look at that one-year-old and we say, oh, they're strong-willed. Oh, they're spoiled. I love spoiling my child. But when an adult comes into the room and says, I want what I want when I want it, we call them self-confident and assertive. When in reality, they may be nothing more than a spoiled adult. Bob Dylan wrote the words many, many years ago to a song. And in, those, in that song, he said, you've got to serve somebody. And when Creator God made man and woman and placed them in the beautiful, luscious, and full garden of Eden, he gave them one command and one command alone. And that's found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he says, you are free to eat any, from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. You see, relationship with the God of creation, as Will stated Sunday, last Sunday, comes from the fact when we learn the whole process of trusting and obeying, when we serve Him. And that trust and that obedience allow for us to see God not as a distant entity but as a personal relatable God and that's who Yahweh is that's the name that he used to identify himself but for many especially for Adam and Eve 
one command to not do something can prove to be too restrictive. You see, Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the enemy seen to approach them in the form of a serpent. And they thought all the way through as, they, as, as Satan tempted them that they could be the masters of their own soul so that they could go ahead and be the captain of their own soul and the master of their own fate. But they quickly found out that instead of serving God and obeying Him, they were now under the control the slavery of a very evil taskmaster. And they couldn't get away. You see, you got to serve somebody. This past week, as I was going through social media, I came across posts from several friends um, and I wrote this message, there were three of them, and I think there's five now, something like that. And all of them were asking for prayer because their marriages were falling apart. And the spouse had left them. And some of you probably know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Um, you know that the, the deep pain that comes from a moment like that. You know the news, you know the shock, the sickening feeling that never really goes away. And I tell you, I, I hurt for the folk that posted that, but I also hurt for the ones that left. I know it takes two to make or break a relationship. I like the old saying, it's very, very true. It takes two to tango. And I don't know the whole picture. But it's so true that whenever those choices start coming, you have to make a choice and you've got to serve somebody. And maybe he found someone at work that would listen or was more attentive to his needs. Maybe she got caught up in all the glitz of the business. Uh, world and loved it more than she loved her family. I remember a family many, many years ago at another ministry that, that decided that they were going to get a divorce. One of them wanted it, the other one didn't. She was in an upwardly mobile career move. Uh, he wasn't. She was content working on a farm, raising cattle and uh, other animals. And uh, and just, uh, just loving life as well as caring for his business, which was going very well. And I remember them telling me that they met with their kids on Christmas Eve and gave them the news that they were going to go, that they were going to go their separate ways. The impact that that had on the lives of those two people was profound. But the scars in the lives of the kids were deeper still. And I know that I have no idea of what went on into the, in the home. And I'm not here to pass judgment on it. I just remember the ache that I felt for both of them. And the hurt. And the impact of that, just that one event reminds me 
you gotta serve somebody. And that's why we get to this name that we just really don't like so much. It's the one we kind of wish wasn't there. And yet it is one of the names that is found most often in the pages of Scripture. It's the term Adonai, which means ruler, master, and lord. And Adonai in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament is found over 400 times. In the New Testament, the term Lord is found almost 580 times or more than 580 times. And lordship is something that is foreign to our culture. We don't like to talk about that. We react to it because personal freedom is so important to us as Americans. And lordship carries with it the connotation of slavery, of being subject under the control of another. And we have plenty of situations, and we know of plenty of situations, where that control has been abused and misused. But folks, please realize, sin enslaves us. And it's what Satan uses to make us captives of his. And he is the kind of slave masters who cares nothing about us, but only about what he can get out of us. His specialty is misery. And if you question that in any way, shape, or form, all you have to do is look at our nation. We just saw a shooting take place. 17 people killed. Why? We have an opioid epidemic going on in our country right now. And countless people, far too young to die, are dying senselessly and leaving people and and leaving destruction in their wake. Others may be gripped by the demon of alcoholism. You know, that desire of just one more drink. And there are victims that get scooped up by, by sexual predators and placed in the sex trade. And they find themselves in hopeless situations, longing for a freedom that seems almost unattainable for them. We may think that we're masters of our souls and captains of our, of our fate. But if God isn't Lord, we find ourselves driven by the most cruel of taskmasters, and that's Satan himself. Romans chapter 6 talks about how, how we find new life in Christ, and we need to make a choice. After we find new life in Christ, after we're baptized into Christ, we need to make a choice of becoming slaves to righteousness. Because if we're not slaves to righteousness, then we're slaves to sin. Because in the eternal scheme of things, you've got to serve somebody. And if God is not your Adonai, if God is not my Lord, then sadly, drugs are going to be, alcohol will be, pornography will be, and ultimately, Satan will be. Adonai also means someone who deserves respect. Here in the South, we use terms like uh, sir and ma'am. And I just really appreciate that because uh, up in Yankeedom where I come from, they, they don't necessarily do that very often. I like it down here. 
sir, ma'am, you know. I'm not used to people calling me sir. I'm thinking, you know, I'm just Mark, you know, but, but that's okay. It, it, it's, but it is nice to see kids being taught to show respect. And if you're doing that with your kids, I commend you. It is incredibly, incredibly good. But the term Adonai, or Lord, also means someone who is also in total control. Adonai is the plural of Adoni in the the Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew. I just stole that from somebody else that knows what they're talking about, okay? Uh, But but Adoni was something that was used for individuals and, and and people knew that they were they were servants of this person, and they would bow down before him, before them, and they would call him Adoni, and, and they would they would show them respect, but they would also submit to their will and did do whatever it is that they asked. But Adonai is plural, and it refers to God, and it refers to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you serve somebody, you serve them with complete obedience. Stop and think about it. What if your boss came to you and said, hey, I know this is in your job description, but it is. I know it is. And I want you to go ahead and do this. What would happen if you looked that boss straight in the eye and said, no? Pink slip? Yeah, probably a boot. Yeah, (laughs) all those things. We lose our jobs immediately. The Creator God of all things says this. Please let this sink into your souls because He says this to you even if you don't believe it. Even if you struggle with this. He says, I made you, and I made you incredibly special and instilled in you gifts and abilities that are unlike what anyone else has. You are one of a kind. You are incredibly unique and valuable to me. And as Yahweh, I want to, you, uh, to enjoy a personal relationship with you, and I want to walk with you through life. I want to be with you always. And the only way in which that can happen is if you willingly make me your Adonai, your ruler, your master, your Lord, your boss. You know, we go around telling other people, no one's going to tell me what to do. And we'll look at people and we will actually say that. Nobody's going to, you're not going to tell me what to do. But a lot of times we end up saying that same thing to God through our actions. We may not verbalize those, but we end up doing it through our actions. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus is, is saying. And I have to be honest with you, this is, this is one of those passages that really makes me squirm. Because he's talking to people who were God followers who tried to obey him. And he says, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, referring to the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, I've been in ministry for 40 years now. I know that ages me, but that's okay. I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I wonder how many times when I reflect on that passage of Scripture that I have been involved in good church things and even given God the credit for them. but I haven't really submitted to Him and asked, God, what do You want me to do? What is Your will? Because if I haven't submitted to Him, even though I'm doing some good stuff or something that's perceived to be good, it's worth nothing to Him. I think that's one of the reasons why John Maxwell said, either He is Lord of all, or He is not Lord at all. But if you look back at Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you, you find something else out about God. Because He is not only Lord, but He is a benevolent Lord. He's a good Lord. He's, he, he gave a garden to Adam and Eve to enjoy. And I love what verse 7, 16 and 17 says again, and I want to read it one more time. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. If you have your Bibles open, circle any, okay? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. You see, this garden contained dozens, if not hundreds, and maybe even thousands of, of, of places where they could go for food. And there were, it was, there were just an overabundance of things for them to enjoy, for them to benefit from. But there was this one, this one thing that needed to be avoided. And disobeying that simple rule meant rebellion against God. And rebellion against his ownership of all things. Folks, has God given us so much to enjoy? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, look at this place. Look at your homes. Look at the resources that God has placed in your care. He has given us all so much. We ought to just simply kick back and say, thank you, Lord. And yet it seems like we, that we, like just like Adam and Eve, love to push the envelope for what he says not to do. And we go for those things instead of the things, being thankful for the things that we have. Adonai doesn't mean that God rules over us in a mean, heartless way. As our God, He also takes responsibility to care for us, to look out for our well-being, to provide for our protection, as well as for our provision. Watch this clip. 
You did a fantastic job. Thank you. I mean, you're clearly passionate. I love it. Yeah. And I care about my clients and, and my family. I like to have that good balance. I have a 23-year-old with special needs. She will be living at home with us forever. So I worry because what happens when, when I'm gone? You know, you don't get an opportunity to take much time for yourself. Um, so I'd like to give you and your husband uh, a trip to Costa Rica. Okay. To get away. That's something you're exciting. I've not done anything like that before. I'm very excited. Thank you. Your commitment to your daughters is unbelievable. You're absolutely selfless. I mean... I have to live forever to be able to take care of them. Well, I'd like to do something else for you. So I have a friend of mine in New York, a financial advisor okay. for families and situations that, like you have. They'll build a plan to make certain that there's resources available for Tori for the rest of her life. Oh my gosh. And in order to get the fund started, the United Family would like to give you $100,000. But we can do more. And we're gonna start a crowdsourcing site for you and your family and we're going to link it to our websites and i believe that we will raise well in excess of five hundred thousand dollars and we're going to keep working it until that financial advisor's plan I love that show, Undercover Boss. You know, it's kind of neat how it is that they become very sensitive to the needs of their employees. And it may be staged. I don't know. I don't care. It's just it's a feel-good type thing. But at the same time, just like that boss wanted to provide for the needs for his employees, you'd want to work for that kind of guy, right? We serve a God that does even more than that. We serve a Lord who is even greater than that. Okay, maybe he won't plop $100,000 into your bank account tomorrow. But he still promises to be there for us. He still promises all the way to provide for all of our needs. And that promise is seen all throughout Scripture. When, when the Israelites were going into the promised land, just before Moses was to turn over leadership to Joshua, he sat with them and he told them the law again in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what the name Deuteronomy means. It means second law. And, and he basically reiterates everything that was found in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And, and, and he explains it to him, and he says, this is what God wants you to do. And then in chapter 28, he says, if you follow my command, says the Lord, all of these blessings will come to you. You will enjoy prosperity. You will enjoy this. Everything will be provided for you. You will not have to fear your enemies. And on and on and on he goes. But by the same token, the other thing that he says is that if you don't follow these things, there will be some very, very serious consequences. 
the likes of which you never want to experience. And the thing of it is, they chose to go that route. And they experienced heartache after heartache after heartache after heartache because they rejected God as their Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus reiterated the essence of that when he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Those things you worry about, those things you wonder about, those things that you need, all those things will be given to you. So the, so the definition of lordship, the closest analogy, may be just that of a boss and his employees. We have a great relationship on our team of staff members. Uh, Will, Eric, um, Kelly, Charlotte. Uh, I, whenever we have staff meeting, I, you know, sometimes they'll joke around. They'll say, well, I don't know if they're joking or not. Uh, but but they'll, they'll say, oh, we have to have staff meeting. But... During the staff meetings, we laugh and we joke around like crazy. Sometimes we are doubling over with laughter. We have a fun working together. And I am blessed with them. You don't know how much they do. Hopefully you catch a glimpse of it. But you don't know how much they do. And you need to go to them and you need to thank them for their hard work, for their, for their strong efforts, because they are amazing, amazing people. But they also know that as one who is in charge of the staff, I have certain expectations of them. And they have expectations of me, too. You see, they have expectations as the one who's the head of the staff for me to have their back. And that I'll do everything I can to help them succeed or come alongside them whenever they need help. And as I was reflecting on that, I just found myself thinking that if God can use such an ordinary and flawed person such as me to lead this fine group of people, how much more, how much more can God do in your life and in mine? The promises that he makes for all who submit to him will give us true fulfillment, true comfort, true joy, true peace. Do you want your finances to work? Then follow God's plan for them. Money is mentioned over 2,500 times all throughout the scriptures. And there is reference to how we are to handle it. We have a stewardship small group that is meeting now on Wednesday evenings. It's an opportunity to learn the principle that God provides in His Word about money and a host of other things that fall under the umbrella of wisely managing what God has given to us and has entrusted into our care. You want to have meaningful relationships? Then practice God's call to put other people first. On Wednesday nights, at the same time that that, that stewardship small group is taking place, the kids are getting together and they're learning about this, they're learning the songs for vacation Bible school. But on top of that, they're studying some of the one anothering passages in the New Testament. Love one another. Serve one another. 
Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Be at peace with one another. Accept one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins one to another. And my question to you and to me is, who do we need to put that into practice with? Who do we need to go ahead and do that with? Are you, want, you want to be overcome by, or you want to be able to overcome anxiety and worry? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. And Jesus also said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. You want to experience true fulfillment in all you do? Follow God's leading and direction. A lot of times we're afraid to do that because we're afraid that He will send us to Timbuktu when we want to go to Chicago. And when we want to be successful, whereas He wants us to be in poverty working with poor people. And maybe that is what He wants us to do. I don't know. But folks, we need to understand that wherever God leads is far, far better than any place we can come up with. And He will use our gifts and our ambitions all for His name, name's honor and glory. So much so that if we are willing to follow Him, then doing what anything else would seem unthinkable to us. You want to see this church become all that God wants her to be? Then reach out and tell your friends about Jesus. Take that risk, even though it makes you extremely uncomfortable. Go to your acquaintances. Go to your friends. Go to your family. Invite them to come to church with you. Pray for them. God honors those who love the people that God loves. And your acquaintances, even the people you can't seem to get along with, those are the people that matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And the price that God paid for you and me is Jesus hanging on a cross and dying for your sins and mine. And Will said last week that, that, that we need to take to heart the words that come from the old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way but to trust and obey. When I preach, as you have noticed probably, I use an iPad. Every time I open that iPad, I need to punch in a code. And if I punch in the wrong code, It'll lock up for several hours. If I repeatedly punch it in, that is. But that code is necessary in order to get into the iPad. Tony Evans says that just like the password on an iPad, so the term Adonai, or Lord, Making God the ruler and Lord of our lives is the password for knowing God, Yahweh, personally, the relational God that we serve, and intimately. And if he says, if you aren't surrendering, he won't be doing any revealing. If you aren't submitting, you will always wonder why God seems so far away. A number of years ago, Pam and I met a gentleman by the name of Walter Carey. 
he was one of those snowbirds that would go down to Florida because Indiana winters can be so uh, extreme. You think it's bad here? <laughs> Come to Indiana. We'll, we'll show you a really good winter. And, and there are other places that are even more severe than that. But he would go down with his wife of many years, and they would spend the, the winter in Florida and then come back in the spring. Well, they came back one the, this one spring right after we had started our ministry there. Uh, and, um, and just shortly after, just before that one Sunday when they were to come to church, his wife just suddenly died. Walter was grief-stricken. And I had the opportunity and the privilege of being able to lead the funeral for, for his wife. And uh, um, somehow that just formed a little bit of a bond between us, for which I was extremely grateful. And after, after the, a, a time of grieving, Walter took Pam and I and, and the boys under his wings. Get in mind, keep in mind, he was 80-some years old. And he would come by and he would get Pam and I and say, come on, I want to take you out to eat. And so we'd get in his car. He would always drive. And uh, the guy had a lead foot and he kind of zigged and zagged all the way through the t- traffic. Uh, greatly enhanced my prayer life, let me tell you that. Um, but he just loved spending time with and he'd sit across the table and he'd say, I just love you guys. Mostly talking to Pam, but you know, uh, I, I took it in too. He loved Walter. And in his, in his late 80s, he looked for ways to serve Christ in his church more than he ever had before. And he confessed to us multiple times. He'd say something like, Mark, when I was younger... I went through all the motions of church. I even served in leadership. But just a few years ago, I heard a sermon that really spoke to my heart and really challenged me to make Jesus the Lord of my life and to walk with Him in all things. And God changed my heart. And I've never been the same. And when he would say that, there would be a big grin that would come on his face. And he'd say, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I just wish I had surrendered to Jesus as the Lord much, much earlier. The cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that Creator God fashioned every single one of us. And we are His. We belong to Him. But our choice was to sin. And Satan stole us from him and bound us in shackles. And throughout history, God has been relentlessly and faithfully pursuing and calling us back to himself. And the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the, represents the death, burial, and resurrection of, our only, of the only begotten Son of God and our Lord and our Savior, He endured untold agony for us because of love, because He wanted us back. And it's a vivid declaration of God's pursuit of us. And God says through the cross, 
I want you back. I want you to walk with me. I want you to enjoy time with me in the eve of the day, just as Adam and Eve did in that garden. I want you to see life as I originally created it and the way it will be when I return. But to do that, you have to enter into a relationship with me. You have to know me as Yahweh. And then you need to choose to follow me. And the only way you can do that is if you make me your Adonai, if you make me your Lord. You belong to me. But I still love you. I will protect you. I will provide you. I will lead you and focus on what's best just for you. All you have to do is trust and obey. And God says, I'll do the rest. Father, we just come to you thanking you that you call us to trust and obey, but also thanking you that you give us the opportunity to make you the boss of our lives. The ruler. The one who has control. Father, please, please hear us. Because sometimes we honestly don't know how to do that. Even though you make it simple. Help us not to settle with the idea that you need to be just our Savior. And then you go around doing as, I, as we please because that doesn't please you. Help us that we not only need to make you our, your, our Savior, but we also need to make you our Lord. And that we submit to you and follow you. And know the joy, the overwhelming joy that floods our souls because you are our King. You are our master. You are our Lord. Bless this time of decision, Lord. All of us are wrestling. Hear our prayer. I pray in Jesus' name.